If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. First John. First uh, John, we're going to be in uh, chapter 2. First uh, John 2. Uh, I'm going to try to work through this, so we'll see what happens. All right, so it's been a few weeks, though, since we've been in the, the letter of First John because we had uh, a communion celebration and then we had uh, Easter celebration. But uh, what we're doing is we're walking verse by verse through this letter so that we can learn great things about God's relentless love for us. Uh, and then we can learn great things about what He has made possible for us uh, in Jesus. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was trying so hard to be an adult, and I can't do it. So, um, it's like, yeah, like every sentence, a new person joined in to help. And so, but this is going to be great for the, uh, for the podcast. And so, we're not going to tell them what actually happened so that they'll have to be here. Um, and so, all right, I'm just going to wait. Does that sound fair? Jamie, how's it going? Did you have a good week? Good week? All right, that's good. That's good to hear. All right, yeah. Yeah. Mark, how's, how's that rash? Is it good? So, so putting that ointment on it? That's good. All right, that's good. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll also, yeah, those are not, those definitely are not two-ply. Um, I mean, this isn't South Lake Carroll. I mean, I don't know what you're expecting. Uh, so, all right, are we good? We good? All right, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Here's what, here's what we're learning. The first part of this epistle is John telling us that God is light. Okay, there's a powerful verse in there that says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And it's a, it's a penetrating proclamation because what it does is it forces whoever hears that to respond to it. Uh, because what he says is, it's, you can't walk in light while also walking in the darkness. It, it doesn't work. And so at least you need to know where you fall when it comes to this. But he tells us, don't be confused. You can't have this both ways. And, uh, and he speaks into a body of believers much like ours. Uh, and in love, he comes in and he says, my desire is that you would be a healthy people who love God and put that love on display by, by living in a manner that reflects God's holiness. And now the good news, the good news for us is that John, uh, he won't look at us and he, and he won't say, hey, in order to earn God's love, you have to work hard for it. Um, you have to keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. In fact, he comes in and he says, all you need to do in order to understand God's love is to look to Jesus. And when you look to him, you lean on him, and he becomes something powerful. In fact, he draws our attention and he says that Jesus is our advocate with the Father because his light uh, and sin's darkness war against one another. And, and a, few, a few weeks ago we said this way, that John comes in and he makes, he makes the Christian life seem pretty easy, though it's not as easy as it sounds. He says that you would come in and you would, you would love Jesus, you would obey God, uh, and then uh, you would love others. You would know Jesus, obey God, love others. And if we're walking in God's direction merely in this pursuit of religion, then you're always going to struggle with those three thoughts. You're always going to struggle with knowing Jesus, obeying God, loving others. And because there's always going to be this temptation to work harder, to earn more of God's love. Because honestly, that's the way we do relationships, right? 
the more effort you put into the relationship, the more love you think that you have from it. And, and so this makes it more difficult to see the cross of Christ clearly. And so, so it makes it more difficult to love other people because when we're doing that, ultimately we love other people because we're hoping that God is looking over our shoulders, seeing what we're doing uh, so that he can give us the thumbs up and tally our board saying, hey, really doing good this week. And, and so that's, that's the struggle that, that we face. And, and so, however, when we see God as light, um, and that, that light isn't so much about exposing our sin as much as it is revealing the deadly poison of sin. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know what culture, if you grew up in a church culture that you grew up in, but our, our idea was that when God exposes your sinfulness, it's to shame you. Um, but what I find is that when God exposes, when God is light and He exposes our sinfulness, it is a merciful act is a merciful act of a compassionate God to reveal what is deadly and what is poison. It's like a, like a loving parent would say, hey, you can't drink the bleach because it'll kill you. So he warns you. And he says, stay away from those things. And at times when you say, no, I think I would like to drink bleach, he slaps your hand. And he says, no, it'll kill you. And you say, but I don't know why you don't want me to drink the bleach. He's like, because it'll kill you. You don't know it. And so when, God is, when it says God is light, it's not a light that brings shame, it's a light that brings freedom. And it brings health, and it brings joy. And, and so, so where we've been is, is we've talked about the difference between light and darkness, and, and then we spent some time talking about the difference between love and hatred. And he says if you love God, you're going to love other people. Uh, if you love God, you can't hold hatred for other people in your heart. In fact, especially when it comes to inside the church, uh, and now he's going to bring this third conflict, and this will, this will kind of bring an end to this portion of God is light, and then next week we'll start moving on to, to God is love. Uh, but, but what he says is that there's a difference, actually there's a conflict between truth and error. And, and it's not enough for a believer to walk in the light and to walk in love. We also have to walk in truth. And that's what we're going to get to explore today. Uh, over the next six and a half hours. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to You. And we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You love us so much that You would send Jesus into our story to be our advocate, to be our propitiation, our, our payment for our sins. And we pray today through the power of Your Holy Spirit that Your Word would speak to us, that He would impress upon us the importance of knowing what is truth. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Alright, so, so there's a dangerous thought in our day and age, and it's not brand new. In fact, it's been this way from the time that John is writing this letter to us. Uh, and, it's, and it leaks itself, this thought leaks itself into many churches, especially when it comes to biblical beliefs. And it's the thought that, that it really doesn't make a difference what you believe as long as you believe that sincerely. Have you, ever, have you ever heard that argument? Right? It doesn't really matter what we believe as long as we're genuine in our beliefs. And, uh, and, and now, I'm not really sure that people who believe that have really thought that through. That, um, because I'm not sure that sincerity is the magic ingredient that makes something true. Right? I mean, if, if, if so, then that principle should apply in other areas of our lives, and it really doesn't. For instance, 
Let's say, you, let's say you're a nurse and you work in a hospital and you give medication to a patient and it's the wrong medication and they respond violently to it and they become very ill. Now, now the nurse is sincere in her treatment, but the medicine is wrong and the patient suffers. Let's say at your home, in the middle of the night you hear noise um, and let's suppose you own a gun. I own thunder and lightning. That's, that's what's going to happen. Come into my house, it's going to, ha- it's going to go down slap style. Um, but let's, so, let's suppose you pull out your gun, you go in, and you believe a person to be a burglar, and you shoot them, only to find out it was a relative, it was one of your kids, you know, and you say, well, I thought they were a burglar. I, and so my, tr- my actions were sincere, but there's great consequences to being wrong in that moment. Um, or how about this? There, there's no amount, if you want to drive from Azle to Oklahoma City, now why, I don't know why you're going there, but you have a reason. Um, no matter, no amount of sincerity will get you there if the highway you're on is heading you to Galveston. Okay? doesn't matter how sincere. You're like, I really want to get to Oklahoma City by the way of Galveston. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And so what we know matters. It takes more than sincerity to make something true. That, that, that faith faith will, will, will always cause serious consequences. If you put your faith in a lie, it will always cause serious consequences. And, and faith that is in truth is never, ever misplaced. And so it does, it does make a difference what a man believes. Uh, it does make a difference... Uh, and this is what we're going to hear John talk about. And in fact, what he's going to be warning us of this morning are that there are voices that we allow to shape our beliefs and how some of those voices may sound religious but are actually very dangerous to us. Very dangerous. And listening to them will draw you into a half or a false gospel. Uh, and it will have devastating effects on your life. And so, so John's going to draw some urgency about the time we live in and the forces of darkness that are at play in these days. And now when we say, we'll, we'll talk about in these days, but what he is talking about then still applies to us in this moment today. And so, so how we're going to tackle this is we're going to try to talk about the dangerous time and the activity that John is referring us to. And then I'm going to try to give us some helpful thoughts on how we can avoid walking in deception. Uh, and so, so here we go in verse uh, chapter, chapter 2 and verse 18. All right? Uh, John says this, children, okay? Now, he's been referring to us as little kids uh, for a while now. Uh, it's not a shot at us, so we can all just calm down a little bit. Uh, when he says children, he's just saying, hey, you're new in the faith. When he's writing these words, it's about, uh, it's about 40 years after Jesus has uh, gone to the cross, and so, so very much his audience are new believers. And so he says, children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Uh, so now many Antichrists have come. Uh, therefore, we know that it's, it's the last hour. And so, okay, so what's going to happen is John, John introduces two phrases we need to address. Uh, and addressing these two phrases, I think, will help us understand uh, really more of what, where we're going to be going. So he uses the phrase last hour, then he uses the phrase Antichrist. And so, so when he says last hour, what he's doing is he's reminding us that a new day has dawned. Uh, a new age has come in. In fact, if you remember back in verse 8, he says that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so, so 
since the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, God is doing, bringing in a new age into the world. And that she's changing everything. All the Old Testament history prepared for the work of Christ. All history since that time is merely this preparation for the end. Okay? This, this time, I don't know if you've read the Left Behind books, you know, but it, it'll happen, right? Because we wrote those books. Um, so, so everything is merely this preparation for the end. When Jesus comes back, He establishes His forever kingdom. That, that, in short, there is nothing more that God has to do to prepare His children for salvation. Jesus has come, and now we wait uh, for the end. And I think we can easily misinterpret this phrase uh, thinking that we should be concerned, considering these words are roughly 2,000 years old. We're like, well, how long is the end going to be, right? Because we want instant gratification. So we want, when we say it's the end, it's the end. Uh, and God in His mercy has allowed us this time of preparation for the end. And so what we need to understand is that this phrase isn't describing a kind of time, but a duration of time. That we fall in, in this section of time. In fact, in other words, Christians have been living in the last hour uh, because Jesus has promised His return and now we wait eagerly for it and we live urgently in proclaiming the gospel to those who are far from God so they can find life in Christ. That's our purpose. And, and this is why the words to follow are going to be important um, as we talk about knowing what you believe and why you believe it, which brings us to the second phrase, uh, in a Christ. I know you're like, boy... I hope this morning we get some good talk about Antichrist. That's going to be fun, right? Uh, now, fun Bible nerd fact, uh, John's the only person in the Bible that refers to the Antichrist. Uh, he's the only one that brings it up. Now, we'll find, uh, in fact, he uses this phrase 23 times. Uh, seven of those times will be in these words. Uh, and so, But when he says Antichrist, here's what he means by that. He's describing a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. Uh, he's talking about false teachers who embody this spirit. And then thirdly, he's going to talk about a person who will head up a final worldly rebellion against Jesus. That's, that's what the Bible tells us about Antichrist. And uh, In fact, the spirit of the Antichrist is what uh, is in the world today. That it will eventually lead to, um, I heard two commentators say this, and I thought it was really lame, so I was like, well, I need to say it. Um, like a satanic superman. Uh, someone that, that Satan thinks can go against uh, Christ Jesus. In fact, uh, so it's Antichrist with a capital A. Um, and he's called in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, he's called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. Uh, and, and it also says that Jesus is going to kill him by the breath of his word, uh, which just, man, that's, that's pretty awesome uh, to be able to just with the breath of his mouth just be able to kill someone. So I, I say all that to unpack this. Uh, that, that this passage explains that there are two forces at work in today's world. Uh, that, that you see truth working through the church by the Holy Spirit, and you see evil working by the energy of Satan. Now that's nothing we don't already know, right? Uh, we, we feel that even as believers, we feel that tension. We see that at work in today. And so what I'm not going to do, though, is I'm not going to give you my top ten list of people that I think is the Antichrist, right? Um, it involves some politicians, a sports franchise, I don't know. Um, but what I'm not going to do is, is that because that will neither be productive nor will it likely to be accurate. Um, even though that's a, that's a game that I, I think a lot of church people like to play, 
uh, that we, we decide who's the Antichrist. And really, it's usually people we don't like at all. Um, which would lead us to understanding that that's not what the Bible says about the Antichrist. Um, but that's a separate thing for another day. Uh, what we're going to see, though, are, are three strategies that a false teacher, or, or like he says, the spirit of the Antichrist, um, who is controlled by the spirit of Antichrist, that they'll use to draw people out of, from the protection of biblical community. Okay? And so he says this, okay? Number one, he says that they separate themselves uh, from the fellowship. Okay? They separate this. Now, this is a step. Okay? In fact, he says it this way. They went out from us, in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Anybody tracking with that? But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so, so one thing that becomes obvious when you read the words of the New Testament writers is that there can be a difference between belonging uh, to an assembly of believers while not necessarily being part of the family of God. Right? If, when we walk through James, we told you, James is writing specifically to the church people and he's saying, there are those of you who are, believe you're saved but you're not saved. And the evidence is the fruit that's coming out of your life. But just because you show up to these places, it doesn't necessarily help you. And, and so one of the evidences of, true Christian, of a true Christian life is a desire to be with the people of God, warts and all. In fact, uh, the, the counterfeit Christians mentioned here, they, they didn't remain in the fellowship. Rather, they went out. They separated because walking in biblical community should expose error and it should expose sinfulness. Uh, not, not in a crushing way, in a liberating way in a way of accountability, of spurring one another on in love and good needs. Walking in biblical community spurs us to walk in holiness. And so, so there, there's, there are a lot of unfortunate divisions among the people of God uh, today. Uh, but, but all true Christians have a couple of beliefs in common. Okay? Uh, here at Merge, we, we call these closed fist issues. Okay? We don't there's no change in there. There's close fist issues and there's open-handed issues. And so, but there are close fish issues, close fish issues um, that we all share uh, in the universal church. Uh, that and things like uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That that we confess that men are sinners and that, that the only way to be saved is through faith in Christ. They be, we believe. Uh, that Christ died as man's substitute on the cross and that He rose again from the dead. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells true believers. We believe uh, that one day Jesus will come again. And now Christians may differ on a lot of other matters. We can differ on church government. We can differ on the, the method of baptism. We can differ on um, whatever those, some of those outside topics are. But these we agree on as matters of faith. And John is saying there were some that, were, that have left and they don't agree on these anymore. But what they say sounds a lot like what we say. And it's dangerous because there's no amount of sincerity that leads you in truthfulness there. And so if you'll investigate the history of false cults uh, in a Christian religious systems and they rule, what you find is usually those cult leaders, they started in a church. They started and they sounded very much like what biblical preaching sounds like. And then they draw people out from those groups. Number two says that they deny the faith. 
the united faith verses 20 through 25 but you have been anointed by the holy one and you have all knowledge and i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ he is the one sent to save us this is the antichrist he who denies the father and the son no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay, so he's letting us understand, how do I know Jesus? How do I operate with God? So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. This is the promise. That as you abide in the Son, and the Son abides in the Father, the result of that is eternal life in relationship with God. And so the spirit of the Antichrist always, always diminishes the person and the work of Jesus. Always. It chips away at his deity. It rejects his work of his rescue. And, and the Antichrist spirit thinks and teaches incorrectly concerning who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in verse 22, John, John makes it very plain about what the strategy is. It's subtle. It's deceptive. It's, it's almost seductive. Because he says they, they, don't, they don't directly oppose Jesus. What they do is they try to redefine him. They, they reimagine him. And their equation is this, that, that Jesus is good. You kind of need him, but you also need some other stuff. He's not enough. And so, so the, there are these other things that you need. So the equation is Jesus plus something on top of that. And it's a dangerous dangerous heresy and it leaks all over the place and if if false teachers were content to enjoy themselves in their own meetings uh, that'd be bad enough but the tragedy is they come and they whisper to the ears of Christians this is what John is saying they're whispering in your ear they're talking to you and they're saying hey that's real Jesus isn't really all that you need number three then they try to deceive the faithful verse 26 he comes out and he says it this way uh, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So they're trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from Him, from Jesus, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. We'll get to that verse in a moment. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Okay? So that's the posture. When Jesus comes back, we don't shrink away. You realize that when Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, what, what, where does God find them? Hiding in the garden. And He's like, what's going on? And they say, well, we found out our giblets are showing. And we were ashamed of that. That's the... That's, I think it's in the Hebrew. Don't read it. Just see. Um, but he says we were ashamed. And now that's what sinfulness does, right? It causes us... Are you good, Cindy? You going to lock it in? All right, yeah. Uh, it causes us to shriek, to, to hide away, to cover, to live in darkness. And John's, John tells us when Jesus comes back, there's no need to do that. That when He appears, we can celebrate in confidence. Because we have been freed. We've been liberated. Sin no longer has 
a death sentence on us. And I think it's interesting to observe that that, that anti-Christian spirits or anti-Christian groups, they rarely try to lead lost sinners to their false faith. Instead, instead, they try to spend much of their time trying to convert professing Christians and church members to their own doctrines. And it's almost, it's almost the exact same play of Satan. Right? We can go back to the garden. He comes to Adam and Eve and he whispers. He says, is that really what God said? I don't think it was. And these are the two people who have intimate fellowship with God. We don't see the serpent go into to any of the other animals in creation trying to say, is that really what's going on? He goes to the ones who know God and he whispers and he says, how about we come, come look at it from this angle? And so, this is why we, we shouldn't, this is, oh, I, can't, I can't express this enough. You shouldn't accept everything a person tells you simply because they claim to believe in the Bible. You shouldn't. Because uh, it's possible to twist the Bible to make it mean almost anything. So we find Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. That's the warning. And so this is the play of Satan. He, he's not an originator. He never has been. He's a counterfeiter. He imitates the work of God. And, and for example, um, Satan uses counterfeit ministers, the, the spirit of the Antichrist, uh, who preach a counterfeit gospel, and it produces counterfeit Christians who do depend on counterfeit righteousness, and no amount of counterfeit sincerity will lead you to absolute truth. It can't. By design, can't lead you there. And so, so when Jesus says in verse 27 that you have no need for anyone to teach you, he, he isn't telling you to be away from the fellowship because He's been teaching us about how important it is. But rather what He's saying is He's looking and He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you what is true. And when you hear something and there's something in your gut, and you say, I don't know if that's right. Typically, that's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to be careful because you're in a false doctrine. That's a false belief. And when those signals go off in your head, it's so very important for us to understand that. So you don't, you don't take words of, of others without investigation. Okay? And my plea to you is that when you hear a guy like me tell you stuff, you don't just take me at my word. You don't. This is, this is one of the ways we guard ourselves here at Merge. Our elders, their responsibility, one of their chief responsibilities here is to make sure whatever is coming from this platform is biblical. And if it's not, they are commanded by God to oversee that and lead in correction. And so you don't just turn on the TV and hear whoever's on whatever channel you're paying attention to and say, ah, I think that's true. Or you don't turn on the radio and just assume, well, they have a radio show, so surely they're of God. You don't do it. You hear those words and you say, how does that line up with the Word of God? It always serves as a reflection. And where it doesn't, you're in dangerous ground. Paul will tell us we live in this time when when men will hear only what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn to myths and they will turn away from the Word. And it's easy. It is easy to sell you on easy living with a life uh, with God that isn't actually life with God. Easy. Because we want it, right? We want comfort and we want ease. And if I can sell you on the idea that that's the way it's supposed to be, then, man, we're in, we're in dangerous grounds. 
So, so if the warning here is that there are antichrists uh, who will preach a gospel that's different than the true gospel, then, then how do we guard ourselves to know the difference between the two, right? I mean, that's really what we want to get. How do I know that I'm not doing it? Let me give you three keys. I'm going to do it uh, pretty quickly. Um, that, that number one, and none of, these, none of these are going to come as a shock to you, okay? Number one, you spend time with the Holy Spirit. You spend time with the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, abiding is, is one of John's favorite words. This letter, like I said, he uses it 23 times, seven in this passage. And so, so to abide means to remain in fellowship. And John's been pressing fellowship for two chapters now. First, our fellowship with God through Jesus and our fellowship with each other because of Jesus. That, that abiding in Jesus is made possible by the Holy Spirit. That's, this is what Jesus teaches us. Uh, and making sure we're in tune with the voice of the Spirit is vital for your Christian walk. It is. If you are found in Christ, um, but you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, there's a pause for concern. In fact, I think it, it dawns on me uh, when it comes to prayer, for instance, uh, and talking with God, that, that some of us uh, perhaps have spent more time talking with Alexa or Siri uh, than we have with God. And... And John explains our relationship with the Holy Spirit as an anointing. It's a beautiful word picture. That God covers me with His Spirit. God washes me with His Spirit. And, and the anointing is the result of finding life in Jesus. And so, so Jesus tells us that one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit is that He will remind you of the things that I've taught you. I will remind you, He will remind you of the things that I taught you. This is re- repeated in verse 20, as the Spirit leads, He draws us closer to Jesus and He helps us understand more of the heart of the Father. That's the role. So if you believe the Holy Spirit is taking you somewhere other than closer to Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not. In fact, this, this helps guard our hearts from influences that teach a gospel uh, which is false, but at the same time looking very real. And one of the best ways uh, we know the heart of the Father uh, and the teaching is, is found in key number two, uh, that not only would we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we would spend time in the Word. We would spend time in the Word. False, false doctrine, half-gospels, prey on those who are biblically ignorant. They do. In fact, false teachers can pick a verse, they can take it out of context and sell it to you in a way that seems very safe and very accurate. Uh, while at the same time being very wrong. And this is why spending time in the Word is so important. Again, it's, it's how we guard our hearts. It lets us think deeper into purpose and the adventures of the God's size that He's, he's putting in front of us. Now, here's what I know about that. Because I'm a, I'm a parent, and, and this is one of the things that is a theme that's working through our house, that it takes effort to get good at some stuff. It takes effort to be knowledgeable about certain matters. And, but sadly, I think when it comes to the Bible, and I don't know where we got this, and I think pastors may be guilty of it, of at least portions of it, when it comes to the Bible, we get that it takes effort to become good at stuff or knowledgeable at stuff, but when it comes to the Bible, what we prefer is to be spoon-fed. We're like, I'll just come in on Sunday, I'll have somebody kind of shove some verses in my way, I'll try to eat some of it. And what happens is for too long you get bored with being spoon-fed because no amount of baby food will make up for a steak. 
And what God says consistently is, man, you should be feasting on my word. Because that's where you find your nourishment. And, and I think the truth is, we put effort into things we care about the most. We do. And so, so what does it say when we know more about the depth chart of the 1992 Dallas Cowboys uh, than we do about what God has to say about love and suffering and justification and righteousness and His pursuit for His glory? What does it say? So we, we guard our hearts by storing up God's Word so that we might not sin against Him. I didn't make that up. That's Psalm 119. That's the, that's the proclamation of the psalmist. I store your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And telling the difference between false and true voices should always be held up to the light of the Word. And you knowing the Word is helpful. <laughs> then, number three. So we don't just spend time with the Holy Spirit. We don't just spend time uh, with the Word. We also spend time in biblical community. We do. There's a difference in going to church and walking in biblical community. I say this all the time. There's a difference in that. John has told us so much in these verses that, that some of the people he's discussing went out from them. Right? They, they wore the church t-shirt. They had the window sticker. Right? but they weren't truly part of, of the community. And this is like I said earlier, one of the evidences of true Christian life is a desire to spend time with fellow believers. And now we're not talking about showing up to a, a, a Bible study. We're not talking about being involved in a small group, though those things are very important. They're just entryways into community. That's all they are. That, that what I'm talking about is walking with people in life where our desire collectively is to make much of God through Jesus. In fact, it's, it's when we walk in community, we explore things of God together. And this helps create accountability and it helps create uh, protection that we should have relationships where we know well another, uh, enough to, to be encouraged and spurred on when we're walking with the Lord. And we should be able to walk close enough that when we recognize when someone is wondering, we can help them come back from that call of distant lands. One of the most merciful things you can do for a fellow believer is to say, hey, that's, you're in a danger zone there. I know right now it doesn't seem to be a big deal, but eventually enough of those little steps will take you miles away from where you want to be. And the question is, do you have people in your life who are willing in love to step into that moment, to step into the mess of that moment and encourage you to pursue the heart of the Father. And if you don't, then you don't have biblical community. You don't. And you say, well, I'd show up for church. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Because John says there were those who were with us, and then they left, and they were no longer with us. And so... Let's start wrapping this up, Sean. Barrick and I have a movie to get to, and so um, we do. Two fifteen. We're not talking about it. Okay. Here's here's what I know. The truth matters. It matters a great deal. It it bothers me at times how easily we will believe something is true because of the voices that we heard say it. Bothers me. Bothers me because I hear it. I hear it from you when you say, "Hey, I heard 
this the other day on the radio, and I'm like, that voice isn't helpful, dangerous. Well, somebody told me once that the Bible says this, that's dangerous. It's dangerous because what we do is we have an imitation of the truth. So the truth matters. Knowing the truth matters more than being sincere in your belief. That we live in a time when where we, can, we will lean more towards comfort than we do devotion. And because of this, we are much more willing to accept the truth told to us rather than explore and dig deep for the truth that can make the most difference in our lives. And I think we, we shouldn't be afraid or unwilling uh, to dig deeper because that's how we find deeper truth. That's how we expose voices that are trying to draw us away from the truth. And as we walk with the Spirit, as John says, as we walk with the Spirit and we walk with the Word and we walk with each other, we're reminded to be on guard and to seek what is true. To seek what is true because God is light and in Him there is no darkness. That's where we land. Am I willing to walk with the Spirit? Am I willing to walk in the Word? Am I willing to walk in biblical community? so that the God of light can be made much of in my life. That's where we are. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available. Not that you need my permission for any of this. But if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. And you say, well, I don't really know these people that I uh, being asked to pray when I'm get to know these people. We serve one another by walking alongside one another. So if you need prayer this morning, we'll pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, maybe you maybe you've been walking in half of a gospel. Maybe you've never given your life fully to Christ. We want to celebrate. We want to walk with you in that. And then thirdly, if you want to take some time and through communion, remember what Christ has done for you. That's available. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You that You love us so much to warn us about voices in our lives that, that sound a lot like You, but not are of You. We thank You that You've given us Your Word as, as the reflection of all kind of doctrines and all kind of beliefs. And Father, like we pray frequently here, I pray for our willingness to step up and to not shy away from the hard work. That we would stop feasting on little things and we would feast and at times devour Your Word so that we can live in a way that glorifies You. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.